And indeed, once again, away we go here on Heartbeat Radio with Bruce Hart on Pro Wrestling Powerhouse Radio on blogtalkradio.com. Man, that's a mouthful. i got to figure out how to shorten that up. As always, I'm Patrick. I'm the guy who's usually in the background here and joining me as always, as he does every week, Mr. Bruce Hart. Bruce, how are you tonight? Good, Pat. Nice to uh, be on with you and uh, got some excellent uh, yeah, I... guests on tonight. I'm uh, just looking forward to Fulvio, and he's written a book, and uh, it should be a great uh, dialogue conversation tonight with with him and perhaps our other esteemed friend, uh, Johnny Mantell. Yeah, hopefully. We're, uh, we're hoping to have Johnny Mantell on later tonight, but we'll, we'll see. Sometimes that can be uh, up in the air because, you know, I'm sure plans change as, as everybody's always does. But currently joining us uh, in a very well-known uh, actor, uh, star, well, star in part role and in many different movies, uh, especially uh, just, just quite a few different popular movies lately. Uh, and probably above all else, though, um, would be the director of the film 350 Days, uh, and, and I'm sure he's, he's going to have a, a great chance to talk to us and talk to us about what that was like filming that and uh, some of the stories that he's learned. And that will be, and I hope I get this right, Fulvio Cesare. That's good. That's uh, pretty great, Pat. That's pretty close, yeah. It's Italian. It's one of those little tongue twister names. It's, uh, but you did a really good job. All right. Well, I, well, I, I, I do try. So, and that's, that's probably the best I'll get out of it tonight. So... <laughs> So I'd like to thank you guys for having us on board. I appreciate that very much. Absolutely. And so it's always great to have uh, have someone with, with kind of, I don't want to say an outsider eye, but we, we, we have so many who are, uh, we have so many guests on here who have always been so hugely involved in, in the world of professional wrestling that it's almost uh, kind of a change of pace to have somebody from the uh, film industry in with us to talk about it from a, different point of view, and hopefully David Arquette and him winning the WCW World title won't be brought up at any point tonight. <laughs> no, but we will not see. discuss There's that. two hours. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, no, and, and you know what? I, I have to means. agree with you. Uh, I, I, um, I definitely came into this because I, I didn't really know anything about wrestling. I, I wrestled in high school. But uh, I really didn't know much about professional wrestling, and so I really, uh, I'm not only a newbie at it, but uh, but also with completely different set of eyes. So, you know, I, I'm not, I, I, I'm not sure if the word would be tainted, but I, I, I don't know, uh, you know, the past. So I'm looking at it from strictly my, my point of view, the wrestler's point of view, and just trying to tell it the way it is. There's no agenda there's no bias i just want to know more about it i've done so much research on it i've read so many books and they've all been fascinating and the the best one so far has been um 
Bruce, your, your brother Brett's book. I mean, 450 pages of just encyclopedic knowledge there. It was so tremendous. I, I've also read um, George Animal Steele's book and uh, Ted DiBiase's book, uh, Roddy Piper's. Uh, I've done so much research online, and, and, and I've done close to about 80 interviews now so far. So it's just become wow. this just wealth of information. Yeah, I, it's been really fascinating. I, it, it's funny because I was just talking to a director friend of mine because yeah. I was telling him I just, you know, I've been directing this documentary and uh, I just keep meeting more and more interesting people. Like, well, you know, w- when do I stop? And he says, <laughs> you'll just know. So I, I haven't reached that point yet. I, I was just in Los Angeles. I, I, I did a couple more interviews there. Uh, I've done interviews um, basically all over North America from uh, the East Coast, from New York, uh, New Jersey, Connecticut, Rhode Island. Uh, we've been to Atlanta. We've been to Florida, uh, uh, Toronto, Calgary, uh, Vancouver, uh, Los Angeles. It's just been tremendous. And yeah, I'd love to have the scene up here, Fulvio. I didn't. I never knew you were in town, but I would love to have. Uh, uh, yeah, and I, I got to tell you, I, you know, with no disrespect to any of the other uh, uh, people I interviewed, but y- your your brother just went beyond the call of duty. Uh, the interview was supposed to last roughly an hour, and I wound up being there from like nine to six at night, with just a little break for lunch. It, it was just tremendous. Well, we spoke yeah, about everything. That, that would have been, uh, you know, yeah, and probably you didn't even uh, come close to uh, covering all the bases even in that time. You know, I'm sure Brett was saying there's so many more things I could tell you. Oh, and, it's uh, true. And, uh, well, well, but yeah, it's, I'm glad. I'm glad you're. Uh, I, I'm appreciative of people like you that I guess you guys are uh, preserving and perpetuating. You know, which. Uh, Something our friends in Connecticut uh, all too often seem to have uh, lost sight of, or they've, uh, they're sort of like Chairman Mao, they're trying to reconstitute yeah. history and all that other, you know. Yeah. So, uh, well, and, and you know, and, and this is the interesting part, too, because, you know, I, I have nothing against, uh, you know, the, the Connecticut group, because I, I don't really know the history. No, right? but from I actually don't either. Of, I, I, I think it's just misplaced you know, agendas, and I think they're actually, in their own inadvertent way, or they're, I think they're actually trying now to kind of atone for some of the uh, egregious errors they've made in the past, but they uh, they don't even quite know how, and they're afraid if they're too kind of overboard and apologizing or atoning that it will kind of uh, open up a lot more kind of criticism for all the uh, things that they've done and all like that. So they're kind of in a bit of a, you know, a state of damned if they do or damned if they don't. But, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm i appreciative like, of a guy like yourself who sort of, like you said, got no, no abiding agenda. You're just... Uh, seeking to, uh, you know, you know, uh, find out some things and illuminate people about, you know, some of the uh, people and what the wrestling used to be like and all this other. And 
So, awesome. yeah, I'm glad there is people like you because uh, the damn business has been. Uh, it's not not that many people that know it, and not that many people that can articulate, you know, well about it, you know. And uh, so I'm glad that Brett was, uh, you know, lending yeah, himself in that. Absolutely tremendous. And uh, yeah. You have to have been there and done it. You can't just make it up, as you've probably already found. You know, oh, some guys yeah. want to discourse on it, but they have, they're like a eunuch in a horror house. They know about it, but they've never done it. Thing, you know, yeah. so. Well, so. for me, I, I, I look at it uh, from a, different, a couple different points of view. I, I've always been interested in history. So when we were at the Hall of Fame this year up in uh, Amsterdam, New York, uh, we interviewed something like 17 people there, but one of them was uh, a historian. And he started telling me, you know, I'd heard some stories about how wrestling had started during, you know, maybe around the turn of the century, you know, carnivals and all that. But of course, dates back to ancient Greece and, you know, Greco-Roman and all that. But he's yeah, telling me that, but he, he's saying that the, the roots of the, the wrestling of today started pretty much like after the Civil War. I mean, that, that just blew my mind. It's like, I mean, who knows that, right? I mean, who really knows the history of, of pro wrestling? The, they, they know, you know, growing up and watching it on TV and all that, but they don't really know, uh, I think they don't really know the, the roots of it. And, and I just find it so fascinating, oh, yeah, especially I, from, yeah, go, go ahead, I feel, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel sort of fortunate in that, uh, I've been sort of, uh, I almost feel like I was, you know, uh, you know, lucky enough to be, you know, firsthand exposed to all that because I'm sure Brett maybe told you some of that stuff with my dad and uh, oh, Jack absolutely. Taylor and Frank Gotch and the uh, Tootsmont and the uh, lineage to Farmer Burns, who was like one of the uh, iconic kind of... Uh, people who laid the uh, groundwork and all like that. And I used to hear those stories uh, firsthand from my dad. I was fascinated with it, but uh, I used to hear those stories about uh, Taylor and Gosh and the barnstorming and the uh, the carnivals and the people being planted in the crowd and <laughs> all the... Uh, and it was fascinating uh I later on was fortunate enough to uh, I spent an extensive period in England in uh, 77 and uh, the people I stayed with in England were this family called the Relwiscos and um, the elder Relwisco who was not alive when I was there but he he was the guy who who actually uh, got George Hackenschmidt started and Hackenschmidt was the guy who had the big you know was the first you know, a uh, huge gate in wrestling history, Gotch and Hackenschmidt, Comiskey Park, and yeah. all that other in 1911, and the, uh, you know, World Heavyweight Championship that kind of made that belt, you know, it had been sort of, uh, you know, apparently uh, being pushed a bit since Gotch and uh, Dr. Roller and some of those American guys, but that, that was the thing that kind of uh, launched that belt with Gotch and Hackenschmidt. And 
but I heard all the uh, well, stuff from Mel Wisco's when I was over in England staying with them, so it's interesting to hear about the oh, yeah. uh, propagation of Hack and Schmidt. And uh, my dad had all the stories about Frank Gotch because Gotch's primary running mate, and they were sort of the prime pupils of Farmer Burns was Taylor and, and Gotch. So Taylor was the guy who started Stew, and then later on Taylor was the guy who uh, introduced uh, Joe Tutsmonte to the business. So it was right. interesting to hear all these kind of... Uh, how these sort of uh, seemingly loose ends came into play with uh, those names, as you could appreciate, but I'm not sure some of the listeners, those are sort of like the equivalent of Connie Mack and John McGraw and, uh, you know, uh, Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb, you know, those are iconic names and not just sort of, uh, you know, guys who were in the business. They were sort of the the people that were the... uh, foundation of the whole business Gotch and and, uh, later on some of those other guys and my dad uh, interestingly enough he knew them all and had quite a few of them up here like the Lewis uh, the Strangler Lewis and the the Zabiscos and the some of the lesser lights that are still within wrestling realm, like the Joe Steckers and the uh, Charlie Caddicks and the Earl Cutlers and some of them. But um, I used, I used, I've been a history teacher and uh, I'm a big sports fan anyway, but I used to uh, always be uh, riveted when Stu was uh, engaging in these conversations Sometimes with these guys, I remember when he had the guy like Luthez up here, and uh, oh. it was just uh, fascinating to hear the stories about uh, some of these names. You would know them, but a lot of, a lot of our listeners, unfortunately, probably hear Stu talking about Dixie Cat and uh, Everett Marshall and, uh, you know, uh, Jim Browning and all these other, you know, kind and. And the uh, legendary stories that transpired, and all the uh, it was, and it was kind of an interesting dichotomy of the uh, not just the sport, but the uh, little bit at times reminded me of that movie, The Godfather, <laughs> with these uh, mm-hmm. some of them were you know uh, somewhat shady characters. <laughs> I remember when I first watch the movie The Godfather and I'm seeing these Barzini and Tataglia and, and all these guys and uh, my dad was sort of saying that guy's sort of a bit like uh, you know the promoter in Philadelphia or the promoter in Boston or you know there's this kind of fine line between there was a lot of uh, you know because of the uh, dynamics of the business at that time and protecting the ostensible kayfabe and all these other things you know there there was some pretty uh sinister kind of uh oh, yeah. activity it wasn't just uh kind of uh you know uh telling it's, guys to kayfabe like, uh, people being uh maybe you know threatened with their lives or uh some it was some pretty uh oh, well and you've probably I, heard I just, some of the uh, stories, you know, to Jim oh. Browning's and some of the other stuff. Well, that, I, uh, I, I interviewed uh, Gene LaBelle 
and he couldn't really yeah, talk about his brother. Mine, yeah. But uh, you know, we, from what I'm hearing, I'm, I'm hearing some very interest, interesting stories about Mike LaBelle and the L.A. territory. And oh the yeah, all the, uh, you know, the Cal and Eatons and the uh, Hugh Nichols and a lot of sordid stuff, even like Hugh Nichols killing himself and uh, some of the other. Uh, uh, there was a lot of uh, speculative whatever, you know, Eileen Neaton, and I've had a few good chats right. with old Gene, too, you know, and he, he, as I'm sure you already discerned, he wasn't uh, a huge fan of Mike and LaBelle. No, know, or, well, he, you know, know he, he couldn't really talk about it, but, uh, he, but, nice but I got, guy, I got too, the Gene, feeling. So he doesn't, uh, he's not one of those types who just disparages people, but he, uh, you know, I've had a few, you know, kind of uh, candid chats with him and uh, a really nice guy Gene but you know he he's got a lot of uh, you know very interesting uh, perspectives you know he was sort of uh, around enough to uh, know some of the characters and you know there's all these little separations with like the promoters were sort of uh, a different realm or breed than the wrestlers and there was a few that crossed over became wrestlers who became promoters and this type of thing but uh but yeah i uh i didn't want to digress into uh about gene and all like that but yeah he'd be an excellent uh source just to get some some perspective and that, that was a pretty uh you know interesting territory in itself that's one of the things that i would imagine you've probably uh come to find or there was you know something i certainly noticed uh even though these all these different promotions used to uh work interactively or under the so-called umbrella of nwa or all there there was still a fair bit of uh you know, shady dealing and cutthroating and this kind of stuff. That was the original genesis from what my dad told me of the NWA was this, uh, it was to uh, ostensibly uh, reduce or prevent the, up till the formation of it in the late 40s, there was all these, you know, that, that was why I uh, originally made the illusion about the uh, Godfather because he had all these promoters who were, not all that ethically uh, inclined. They were all uh-huh. screwing each other and backstabbing and all kinds of, you know, uh, a little bit like in The Godfather where they're all doing all these things and then they finally have to orchestrate the meeting of the heads of the families to uh, kind of uh, agree to work together type thing. And that was the the real, from what my dad told me, and my dad was one of the uh, original members way back when in the early days of the NWA. And um, it was, I always was sort of pleased to uh, get all the inside perspectives, candid opinions and whatever from him about. And there was a fascinating group of them. I'm sure you've heard of all the, uh, you know, this, you know, the Crockett's and the Tunnies and the... Uh, oh, yeah. The seagulls and the muchniks and all 
Uh, well, the, the but, funny thing is that I, I, like I had no idea, all right, because I've been kind of new to this. So, and that's one of the things that I, I appreciate so much about the wrestlers that, that they were just so completely open and uh, you know warts and all. They they talked about everything, and you think maybe you know some things were are better left uh, unsaid or whatever. But no, and it's not like they had any agenda of their own. They're just like telling it the way it is. And and nothing was uh, off limits. So we talked about bad promoters. We talked about uh, sex and drugs and alcohol, and but but also all of the great things that went with it, and how much they loved it, and you know the the whole territory days, the the friendships, the camaraderie, uh, how you know the respect they had for each other, and it's about you know never hurting uh, your your opponent. I mean, just fascinating stuff. And you know, oh, yeah. primarily our. Our focus was supposed to be like uh, on on the '80s because that was pretty much the beginning of the end of the territory days, right? Maybe into the '90s, but you know we we had uh, Angelo Savoldi, who was at the time the oldest living wrestler. He was 99 when we interviewed him. I also yeah. interviewed Don Leo Jonathan, and, and he's he's way up there. But his dad used to wrestle in the 20s. So we're reaching back as far as we can in the in the history, and then you know up to you know some of the indie promotions uh, going on today. But but our focus really was the territory days of, of the eighties, and um, oh boy, yeah. the stories have just been so great. I'm glad you're able to perpetuate and capture some of that because um, I certainly came up in that era, you know, and I. Uh, I consider myself lucky, as I said, that in that stew, uh, I think that was one of the reasons why, there was a lot of reasons why Stu was as well respected and uh, revered in the uh, inner circles of the wrestling business, but, you know, uh, he was one of the very few, if if one of the only ones still around in the, uh, in the 80s and 90s that actually went all the way back to, uh, like, Farmer Burns through his uh, involvement with Jack Taylor and all those guys. You know, he, he'd he kind of pretty much gone back to the, it'd be like some uh, baseball player going back to uh, Abner Doubleday, who I might add was a fraud anyway. Right. <laughs> but, um, oh, yeah. but, uh, but uh, you know, and... He was sort of had an unbroken lineage to all that, and but it was uh, one of the reasons why he conducted his business the way he did, and he he was sort of like the epitome of old school. With you know, as I'm sure uh, have been uh, told about, you know, in the old days it was all this dues paying, and you had to uh, go through places like the dungeon and these. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, the three-headed dog at the gates of hell in order to uh, get into the business type thing, you know. And uh, and it wasn't because Stu was, uh, you know, a sadist or uh, anything like that. It was, it was primarily because of, you know, protecting the ostensible integrity of the business. And uh, that, and that, that was the, uh, that was sort of the mindset I was brought up in, you know, and uh, so I found it to be very unpalatable when I saw these, you, you know, uh, just kind of out of the blue exposés with 
Eddie Mansfield and John Stossel and you know, right. there's a, there's I, I would venture to say probably some of the veterans that you interviewed were probably still pissed about that kind of open disclosure, and I certainly am. I was and still am, and didn't I, you know? And I hear all these what I perceive to be hollow rationalizations about they don't care, you know, they already know. And, to which I always say bullshit. It's like some telling some churchgoer there's no God or it's all a work or there's no, you know, uh, first off, right. they don't want to know. And uh, even if you, you know, and go to your way to kind of convince them, all you do is sort of disillusion and, uh, you know, kind of uh, piss them off, you know. And that's sort of my take on on that whole thing. And I, I like I've made peace, or kind of I'm, I'm more or less on quasi amicable terms with Vince and all that bunch. Now you know I did that WrestleMania gig a few years back and all that other, but yeah. I'm still not in any way, shape, or form in agreement with uh, their methodology or the uh, way they handle that or the way they continue to. Uh, run their business you know i uh and i always have sort of a mixed perspective of it because i uh i'm disdainful of a lot of the uh things they do and how they've done them and you know, all this other at the same time you know be, because of my uh background and our family's lineage in the business and all this other i st still want to see the business preserved and putting its best foot forward so when i always try to look at it like uh i don't want to see Vinny and them shoot themselves in the foot too often or i don't want to see too many more aberrations like vicky guerrero and stephanie having a mud wrestling thing or uh dwarf and el burrito uh you know uh hornswoggle groping to uh skanky divas and uh Michael Cole gushing over it, or like when I see stuff like that, I, I still have some, you know some inherent pride in the business. So you know, it, it doesn't give me any satisfaction to see them stumbling or you know the uh, misbegotten wannabe uh, you know wrestling office and TNA, you know, which seems to be more of a you know, uh, comedy of errors or whatever the hell, you know. So I'd like to see, because of my uh, my background in the business and what my dad put into it and all these other guys that I grew up with or came up with, like the Luthezes and all those, you know, the Dory Funk seniors and all them, you know. It, it was... Oh, yeah. uh, a great source of pride and there was a, a certain uh, code of ethics about the business and uh, so I, I'm always uh, like uh, when I see the business kind of being dragged through the mud or all this other it it, it still pisses me off or it it kind of like uh, like getting a dagger through your heart or something like that you know you just because you put your and my dad certainly did, and all, all those 
guys, you've probably heard the names and hopefully you had a chance to meet some of them, but it, it was uh, so much more than just sort of a job to, you know, these, it was, you know, labor of love with guys like Dory Funk Sr. and probably Vern Gagne back in the day and these, uh, yeah. these old, uh, legendary old promoters that, you know, uh, you hear about now, you know, and, uh, they sort of put uh, their heart and soul into it, you know, and uh, so yeah, I always uh, still have that same passion. And I'm, just, I'm certainly not, as you can discern, I'm not a huge fan of so much of what WWE has done and continues to do. At the same time, given my passion and whatever for the business, I. I always get, uh, you know, it always makes me feel good. I'm always fully endorsing of it. If I see a great match, or I see like a Randy Orton and a Daniel Bryan tear the roof off a place or something like, yeah, wow, you know, I'm still more than happy mm-hmm. to uh, allow myself to be a mark because I, uh, I still appreciate and respect, you know, the. Uh, the working end of the business and it frustrates the hell out of you though to see uh it becoming uh fewer and far between and, and the new guys they're bringing in more often than not are some abortion like the uh funkasaurus or the uh <laughs> adam rose and then the uh rocky horror show tagging along with them or or Damien Sandow pretending to be an astronaut or some asinine thing like that, you know, and I'm kind of like, uh, you know, if you guys are endeavoring to make us take, say, Brock Lesnar and John Cena seriously, uh, you know, why do you compromise it by having uh, Hornswoggle and El Burrito spanking each other and having some airhead bimbos, uh, you know, uh, fighting over Fandango or some, you know, you know, on the same card, you know, like, uh, you know, it's like having a movie like Citizen Kane and then just out of the blue having Curly Larry and Moe put in a cameo appearance. It's like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> well, it, it's funny you say that because I, the one thing I really, uh, that's opened my eyes so much during this this journey is <clears throat> especially because I, I am an actor. I, I realize how you know the the amount of work, the how how, how they're such performers. Right? I mean, I, I have to memorize my lines. I you know I have to do my thing as an actor. These guys they, they do improv. They, they it's a soap opera. It's drama. It's it, you you take a look at all the outfits and have it, it's just like kabuki theater in Japan. It's and then you take in the whole stuntman thing. I mean, they, it's this whole package, right? So, oh. if I mean, I, I don't watch WWE, but and I have nothing against it. But if anything, maybe it's because the storylines just aren't good anymore. It's not the actors that you know they have to play their part. But you know, back in the '80s and 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 way back, you know, '50s, '60s, '70s. It, it, it was so believable because they, they played their part so well. And, and, big, the and big now problem, maybe they run out of ideas. The big problem is the whole objective, Fulvio, is I was always told, and I still believe that, one of your 
main objectives as a wrestler is to include the crowd, the audience, in the equation, make them believe that they're cheering and they're booing and they're doing whatever has a pronounced bearing on the outcome. That's that's what I was always given to believe, which it should make perfect sense. The faces make the fans think that if they cheer and whatever, they'll overcome adversity and when they finally win, the fans can indulge in the intrinsic satisfaction of having, you know, inspired, you know, Daniel Bryan to this Pyrrhic victory and all this stuff, or yes. they d- distracted the heels with their booing or whatever. So um, it frustrates the hell out of you when you see this propensity for scripting virtually everything which is unfortunately the mode these days in the WWE because what you're really doing when you're scripting everything is taking the crowd out of it because the wrestlers are then going to just go out and do everything regardless of whether the crowd's reacting or whatever. And after a while, the crowd starts rightfully discerning that they don't have any bearing on the outcome whatsoever it's just you know they're just there because they're paying the paying for the uh wrestler salaries and all this other but when i when i broke in and i still am uh and i as a booker for uh stampede for 20 years so i had a pretty good handle on that end of it uh we used to do virtually total improvising you give a guy a finish maybe give a few key spots that uh, might be, uh, you know, each would need to know. But uh, beyond that, it was all pretty much ad-libbing. You'd go out and uh, say, I need 30 minutes, or we're going to, you know, uh, so-and-so's going over, you know. And for me, it was even entertaining just watching how these guys improvisationally got from uh, the opening bell to the finish and the great workers uh, intuitively had this sense of when to sell, when to come back, when, you know, and, uh, and the beauty of all that was it included, it invited, induced the crowd to uh, get into it. And, uh, the crowd would go on this incredible roller coaster ride of emotions with the wrestlers, the cell and the comeback and their blood boiling and celebrating and gnashing their teeth and and uh they would be chomping at the bit to come back next time, you know, because you always wanted to hook them and somehow or other uh induce them to come back the next week. So it was all uh a very uh you know, kinda sophisticated art form you know and i see the guys that were you know the within the wrestling realm everyone used to rave about being the uh the really great workers like the dorian terry funks and the harleys and and the dynamite kids and the rick flares and those guys but it wasn't uh because they were necessarily the greatest athletes or the biggest or had uh, 20-inch pythons or any of that is because they right. had this innate ability to 
worker crowd to take them whatever direction they wanted to take them, when to bring them down, when to bring them up, and all of that. And uh, that's one of the uh, things that is, uh, you know, an endangered commodity at this stage of the wrestling business. That's why about 99% of those so-called up-and-coming stars that come in from that, uh, what I call a, a sterile uh, cuckoo's nest at Nexus or NXT or whatever, most of those guys don't have a clue how to work, in part because nobody's taught them. Nobody's explained the uh, dynamics or the the rationale of uh, improvisation and uh, incorporating the crowd in the equation and uh, understanding their roles and there's a bunch of these basic precepts that essentially dictate what working's all about and uh, frustrates the hell out of you when you see the majority of these guys uh, uh, several of whom are uh, Apparent superstars going out, and uh, I'm not gonna name a bunch of names, but uh, I see a lot of the uh, apparent superstars in the WWE uh, and TNA who it can't work to save their lives, and they do all these little things that are, you know, uh, you know, kind of uh, give evidence to that perception. You know, certain things that a great worker never does because it, you know, in, immediately exposes him as a guy who doesn't know what the hell he's doing, you know, and uh, I see that all the time, these cardinal errors being made, and uh, and uh, the problem is the people at the top, you know, they when I hear all these, uh, you know, kind of uh, dynamics about the story writer for this match, or as soon as I hear the term, the writer's, I immediately so right. roll my I immediately roll my eyes and saying, you know, uh did Orson Welles need uh eight effing writers for Citizen Kane or did uh George Lucas need you know you know more isn't better, you know, it's not William Shakespeare and Francis Bacon and uh, you know, uh Doctor Doolittle that wrote Hamlet, it was it was one dude, you know. Right. And, uh, and uh so why the hell do they need a bunch of writers and taking it a step further? Uh, why is it, you know, Freddie Prince Jr., whoever, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, what the hell did he ever do in the wrestling business? Or what, where did these, uh, you know, and it's frustrating, though, because uh, there's still millions of fans who want to indulge who still love the business, who would love nothing better than to, uh, you know, just being allowed to go out and watch wrestlers, watch some plausible finishes, be hooked, have some ostensible pretext or reason for coming back next week. And uh, it's pretty simple. You know, and I'm saying this from a perspective of somebody who did it for 20 years and we had to get them back every week, and you had to sink or swim on whether you were, you know, doing decent schematics in the ring and, and you know, all this other. So, uh, but, yeah, it frustrates the hell out of me when I see all these uh, ass-backward uh, mistakes being made. And at the same time, the uh, 
the fans are still forgiving and ready, you know, you know trying to indulge and oblige in, uh, in spite of all this horse shit, you know, you're, you're, uh, but it, it frustrates you, though, when the uh, potential, especially now in this day and age with the uh, advent of social media and all of these things which are almost tailor-made, you know, propaganda and marketing vehicles for these people uh, that they uh, they still can't, you know, get it together, you know, uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, I hear some of this, the glad handers and the, uh, you know, the rationalizers telling me, oh, you know, uh, sour grapes or whatever the hell, you know, uh, they're doing better than ever, and, you know, uh, and um, whenever I hear it, like, uh, whenever I hear they are doing well, I'm, I'm happy to hear it, because I said before, I'm still like to see the business, you know, survive and all like that. But uh, as I said before, you, you see all these things like uh, he's talking about the Funkadactyls and the Divas and the, you know, the the, the Dwarfs doing their thing and the Damien Sandow and the Great Kelly and this other, you know, garbage. Uh, and, you know, and call too often uh, it re- it's reduced to the level of you know the people that are running it just flinging excrement against the wall and hoping something will stick and uh if it, if and when it does they take bows and make out like they're uh you know uh frazier and Ali uh or, or whatever and if and when it doesn't which often it doesn't uh, they they blame the economy or you know uh throw a few jabronis under the bus and all this other, but uh, I'd love to see the business putting its best foot forward, a lot more uh, kind of uh, kind of cohesion on what the hell the uh, methodology is. And, you know, uh, so many things, I don't even want to digress into uh, a denigration or, a, you know, a constructive or destructive criticism of it all, but there's so many things that could and should be done better and are not being done better and uh, at some point you know I, you can only go down that rickety you know uh, rocky road so long before it uh, potentially goes off the cliff, you know so I still believe they need to uh, Re-examine what the hell they're doing. Make some serious fundamental changes. You know, at the very least, they need to define what they perceive wrestling to be. You know, and at that at this stage, it's pretty evident they haven't done that. Because if they had, they wouldn't be doing a lot of the uh, counterproductive garbage that they're doing. And once you do that, you got to stay on track. You can't, you know, uh, abandon that plan the first time, you know, crowds go down. Or they've, they've kind of perverted the perception to a whole generation of wrestling fans right now. And the uh, biggest indication of that is that, you know, uh, the, the rise of UFC or MMA and all that type of thing, and, which to me, from what my dad told me, was 
while he was still alive, he told me uh, MMA was not a hell of a lot different than what wrestling was back in the uh, Gotch, Hack, and Schmidt, uh, Strangler, Lewis days, you know, sort of this wow. rough-hewn, uh, quasi-shooting, cauliflower-eared, you know, kind of mugging each other, you know, and the... Uh, eventually evolved and and funny thing i believe if if it's going to survive and i i'm still not sure that it necessarily will mma you know I, everyone makes out like it's this kind of uh you know uh surefire or whatever but people are fic- fickle and finicky uh, i remember the nasl back in the back in bauer and pele days you know they had a a big surge, and then it kind of died off. And I've seen a lot of these other, like team tennis, and some of these other things, you know. And so, for me, the jury's still out on MMA. I, I don't find, you know, I, I know a lot of the guys, and I'm appreciative of what they do and all the other, but all that entertaining, frankly. And uh, the bad part about it for me is that at some point, I think they need to. Uh, Operating the uh, shooting angles and uh, some of the stuff that wrestling does, but it's it's uh, kind of a bit of a dodgy, you know, proposition. Because as soon as they start trying to do the things that wrestling is doing, they run the risk of being accused of, you know, the very thing that they've claim to be the antithesis of so but uh if i was the wrestling business i'd be endeavoring to uh you know uh borrow a few pages from ufc or whatever where you go back to some perception or you know try to go back to some that where it looks like it's half shoot or let people indulge that it you know and, and I see every now and then the WWE doing that, where they make out like something like Randy and Brock or uh, something like that is almost like a quasi shoot, which is all the fans want to believe in the first place. But and, and as I said before, though, and they, uh, I'm not sure if they almost get afraid of, you know, they really, you know, we have to make this look real or whatever, you know, and then they, uh, you know, compromise it with. You know, a bunch of uh, the usual comic relief and high spot fests and the other gimmick matches and garbage that uh, you know kind of reassures the smart mark uh, marks that no, it's, don't worry, it's still all the work. You know, like, uh, but I think they really need to uh, at the very top end. Uh, they need to sit down and figure what the hell they want wrestling to be perceived at. And uh, from what I've seen and heard, there's way too many cooks in the kitchen, half of whom don't know how to uh, boil water, you know. And uh, and uh, it's a testimony to the potential popularity and the uh, inherent appeal of the business in the first place that it's, done as well and succeeded in spite of all the ineptitude and the uh, ass-backward uh, mismanagement like the Montreal screw job and all the other bullshit, you know. Right. And, uh, yeah. So, but uh, well, forgive uh, my f- cynicism, I'm, I'm only uh, 
I'm a mere fan. I, I'm not entitled to uh, cast aspersions upon the uh, the gods in uh, Mount Olympus or whatever the hell you know. But well, I I, I think you have every right to do so, but. Uh, you know, it's a, he's very successful. Uh, you can't, I guess, really argue with that. I mean, uh, people are buying what he's selling, and you know, I, I just I can't speak to that. But uh, our our thing was primarily, you know, like I said, back in the '80s, and you know, it's yeah, primarily the the, the loss of the territories, and you know, what, why it was so enjoyable, and how the fans loved them, and what the wrestlers went through back then. I mean, they, they don't do that now. You know, they they fly. No, I, class, I'm they sure Brett and some of those guys told you that the uh, my estimation, the uh, demise and the elimination of the of the territories was. Uh, if you did that in any other sport, say back in the uh, '80s. Major League Baseball and its infinite wisdom, say George Steinbrenner and Bug Selig, Bud Selig and Mark Schott, you know, got their heads together. You know, we got to get rid of minor league baseball. It's cutting into our action. And uh, like, if they had done that, uh, you know, eliminated the uh, place where the talent is being developed and all this other, and you're also sowing the seeds at the grassroots. Uh, where the hell would be baseball now, or if junior, if minor or hockey uh, had decided to get rid of junior hockey and minor league hockey, or the uh, NFL and the NBA had uh, decided that the NCAA was a threat, or you know, where would those be today if you had cut off and eliminated, you know, the uh, places that were developing all the talent, you know. Uh, You'd, you'd be uh, having Brett Favre and Joe Montana and Steve Young and the uh, NOIA you know, Tittle being dragged out of a wheelchair or some damn thing. And, right. So it's, it's you know, uh, it's no accident that, uh, you know, if they haven't keep having to bring back Hulk Hogan and Brock Lesnar and uh, Ric Flair and all the, you know, it's sort of necessity, you know, because... They don't. They haven't been developing quick, any. Um, sorry, sorry to uh, sorry to interrupt you, Bruce. But uh, we actually yeah. do have a, a caller on the line, a uh, Virginia professional wrestler by the name of uh, Eddie Justice. Eddie, how are you this evening? I'm good. I'm good. How are y'all doing this evening? My pals, I, I haven't met you or been introduced to you before, Eddie uh, Bruce Hart. Nice to uh, meet you. We're, you're, we're out. You're out of. West Virginia? I'm not, uh, no, I'm out of Virginia. Um, oh. I've been in the business. Yeah, I've been in the business two years now. I'm still up and coming. I'm not a household name, but I'm working on it. Um, I was actually trained by uh, WWE Hall of Famer Jimmy Valiant here oh, in Virginia. Boogie Woogie, man, yeah. Oh, so I had yeah. a big, uh, big gym for um, me. Yeah, um... And, you know, I'm currently working. I've worked three promotions here on the East Coast, one in West Virginia, as a matter of fact, West Virginia Championship Wrestling, which is actually taped and aired on the CW Network in their area, and American Championship Wrestling, which is my my home promotion here in Virginia that I mainly work wrestling oh, yeah. out of. Uh, I'm sorry? 
yeah, are you getting enough work? And is it, you know, I, I'm always interested to hear how these promotions are doing just because uh, I'm appreciative and empathetic just to the challenge and all of that. You know, I have a lot of respect and uh, appreciation for what you guys are doing just because it's the... Uh, you guys are keeping the flickering flame burning at the grassroots level, which is uh, well important. You know, I'm, but it's tough, though. I'm, I'm hoping that you're getting well, some rest. Well, you know, yeah, I under, I, and I appreciate, you know, the the uh, you know, the kind words, you know, and uh, and you being a, you know, this, this is this is Mr. Hart, right? Yeah. Okay, you know, with you being a veteran of the business, you know, I I I really appreciate that. Um, well, as far as work goes, um, it's been kind of I've, I've been in some dry spots here lately. Um, I haven't been working uh, so much in West Virginia or North Carolina like I would like to, uh, mainly because of my you know regular job and you know means of transportation to get to these places. Oh yeah, you can't quit your day job and like you did in the old days, you know, that kind of thing. You know. Exactly. Um, but uh, I'm pretty regular and steady with uh, my home for, uh, promotion here in Virginia, uh, American Championship. Um, do a show once a month. You know, that's the, that's about the limit of it. That's good. Uh, which, you got a little, you got a crew there, like group you've assembled, or do you bring guys in, or how does that work? Well, no, it's not my promotion. Uh, my, um, I'm, I'm working for a, a gentleman here. Uh, his name is uh, Michael Ray Weddle. He's uh, known as Eclipso. Um, uh, you know, pretty, pretty legendary in the in the indie circuit. Uh, you know, he's he's had some uh, big names. Uh, on his promotion, uh, with you know the likes of uh, Boris Zukov, uh, Jimmy Valiant, you know just just to name a few. Um, but like I said, uh, I mainly been working with him, and once a month, you know, and you know, I, and I'm appreciative of what he of, of the opportunities he is giving me, but I would like you know, a little more expansion and a little more, uh, you know, opportunities for some other doors to open. But Oh, you need it. I'm, I'm glad you're smart enough to realize that. If, quite honestly, if you were telling me uh, I'm working once a month and, uh, you know, that's, that's going to get me to the next level or, you know, I, I'd be sort of... Well, no, you know, no. You, know, you actually... What... what Guys like the young guys like you and you guys need, uh, and that's unfortunately uh, not happening right now. You guys need the opportunity to work uh, four or five times a week, just like the guys like Brett and all those guys did back in the day. Well, we we took well, it for sure. granted, but that, that's the only way you get better. You won't be getting, you know, if you're a baseball player and you're playing one game a month, there's no way you'd you know, uh, ever get to the major leagues, you know, it, you need, you need to, uh, and one of the biggest things you need, and I'm sure you've picked up some of that just from talking to Boogie Woogie and, uh, Boris Zukov and some of them is you need a regular steady diet of being around the boys 
that's, that's we used to learn more from just riding in, in the cars, and you'd hear Harley and Terry Funk and uh, the old guys uh, telling you what you're doing right or wrong, and uh, slow down and speed it up, or don't do this, and and that's that's a big part of the uh, learning process is just the uh, being schooled by the old farts, you know, and there's not enough well, of that around anymore either. Well, I I agree completely. I agree completely. Um, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna excel and move to the next level if you're sitting stagnant in one place. And if you you're know, only working once a month, you know, if you, if you know somebody schools you, you know, you don't have. Like in the old days, you'd well, be working the very next day, and you'd and you'd get better because you applied what they, you know. But uh, that's I'm hoping that at some point, some of these indie promotions, one of the best things those guys can do, and to the best of my knowledge, they don't do it. They should be working together. Most of them are afraid of each other. They're cutting each other's throats. They're, you know, and the other big mistake almost all of them are making as far as their approach to wrestling, they're all trying to be a half-assed copy of the uh, bullshit down in Connecticut. When when we were doing Stampede out here, we were uh, bound and determined to be a compelling alternative to that horseshit, you know, which is why I was taking guys like Dynamite Kid and Benoit and Bowen and Pillman and... they, they were, uh, you know, disdainful of Brutus the Barber and, you know, Ultimate Warrior and the the Warlord and all this other stuff, you know, like, uh, so they were wanting to uh, be kind of like a compelling, believable alternative, you know, and, and I think any new guy coming up, that's one of the best ways you're going to make it is by not trying to be a copy of John Cena or some damn thing. Go the route of Brian Danielson or uh, Phil Brooks or whatever. Try to be some different, you know, do something that you feel suits you. And uh, don't, don't be trying to be a, what I used to refer to as an Elvis impersonator. You know, there's a zillion of those poor bastards out there, most of whom, you know, well, I understand what you're saying. Them. Yeah, and uh, I understand what you're saying. Is, I mean, yeah, I not see enough guys opportunity. like, yeah, you got to come up with your own gimmick. You got to be unique. You got to stand out on your own without trying to ride the coattails or be like somebody else. Um, you know, yeah, that, one that's of the, biggest... the one thing. That's the one thing that gets on my nerves. Okay, is I see a lot of guys out here that are trying to mimic, you know, somebody who's been on the top or on the top, you know, well, you know, you're not down. Um, like, I don't know, are you familiar with uh, Nature Boy Paul Lee? I'm not, you know, I... Uh... He's, a, he's another indie circuit wrestler uh, in uh, the Georgia area, He's and he's pulling the, the Ric Flair stick, you know, well... Which is just a copy of a copy, like Ric Nature Boy, Ric Flair, you know, if anyone, I'm sure some of our other colleagues might remember Nature Boy, Buddy Rogers, so, you know, Flair was just a takeoff of Buddy Rogers, so, uh, yeah. Well, this, but, well, this guy, this, this guy is, like, using, you know, Flair's persona, you know, the whole woo and stuff like that, you know, he's, too, he's, he's cartoon-like, 
And I watch, I, I see some of his promos he cuts on Facebook, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, dude, you're nothing like Flair. You do not carry the same charisma, the same attitude, the same uh, mannerisms that Flair did in his promos. Why are you trying to be something you're not? And even if he does a better uh, woo than Ric Flair and uh, face plants or whatever, you know, all he's ever going to be is a, a, you know, an impersonator. It's like uh, some Elvis impersonator who can sing Love Me Tender and you ain't nothing but a hound dog better than the king. Who gives a rat's ass? He's still this stuff. Well, I know. I mean, I've got my own and, uh, gimmick. Yeah, so it, it takes more stones. Gimmick. Yeah, it takes more balls to have your own gimmick. And uh, that's where the money's at. It. But, you know, uh, it, it takes a lot more. you got to refine it. And the big problem these days is not enough vehicles out there in the form of TV and other to uh, get those gimmicks across. Like back in, back in the day, if you came up with something, you know, decent, you had, you know, the local... TV like you did out here or wherever, you know, and, and that's where guys developed. That's where Ric Flair developed. That's where Buddy Rogers or Dynamite Kid or Brett or whatever. But but uh, it, it takes. Well, see, my problem, my problem is right now, you know, um, is like I'm trying to put my name out. You know, I contact these other promoters that you know that are in somewhat the same vicinity as I am. You know, you know about hey, you know here I am. Here's some samples of my work. You know, take a look at it. If you like it, give me a give me a shout. I'd like to come work with you. And you know, a lot of a lot of these these uh, promoters, even on the indie level, they don't want to take a chance. They, like they don't take a look at you know a new face. Oh, they're all it paranoid too. They they're afraid of pushing a guy from another promotion because it might, you know, uh, you know, come across, make their promotion look bad, and all those other, you know, kind of, uh, you know, things that unfortunately compromise. But as I said before, these damn indie promoters, and there's way too many of them out there. But they should be working together, not trying to undermine and. Uh, you know, kind of screw each other, and I think that's one of the problems. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what's exactly down there, but I know up here they got a myriad of these misfit horseshit promotions that are, uh, you know, have all the guys with gimmick names and costumes and multicolored hair and cat-eyed contact lenses and all this other crap, well, and, uh, and they're all trying to screw is- each other. What what would you I mean you know you being a, a veteran of the business what you, what would you suggest to me in order for me to actually be able to expand out further than where I'm at now I mean if I'm putting my, I'm trying to get my name out there I'm trying to get people to notice me not people like fans per se but you know other other people running shows just so that way I can, you know, explore some other territories and, and, you know, and just keep growing like a wildfire, what what would you suggest for me to do? Because right now I'm in a really dry spell. I've only got the one show going right now. Um, I haven't been working with the other two promotions very often. 
and I'm I, I'm hungry. I'm really hungry, oh. and I and I want to get. I want to move up. I'm glad you're hungry, and uh, and not in the starving sense, but I'm glad you're, you know, eager to get better and you know all like that. Um, I would be doing some homework, you know. I'd be uh, asking guys like Jimmy Valiant and uh, some of them what they suggest. As I said before, I think all these, you know, and if you can be a intermediary or a go-between, I think some of these promotions, like all the ones you're describing down there, they should be working more cohesively, not trying to, you know, kind of, it's it's not like the old days where maybe promoters and territories and all are a threat to each other. At this point, they should all be just, you know, uh, and these promoters should start trying to walk before they run, where they, they should just have a damned, uh, a few towns and uh, their nucleus of talent, and they, they should be trying to develop those guys and uh, get them as many shows as um, they can. And some of those promoters, if, if they were doing what I'm saying, you know, the promoter, in the old days, the promoters used to book wrestlers. The wrestlers didn't have to uh, do it as much. A promoter would call another promoter and say, hey, I got a guy who's, uh, you know, a uh, good-looking prospect. Uh, you know, could you give him some work? Uh, Stu would call up Don Owens in Portland or Vern Gagne or, you know, and and that's the way it used to go. And there is some reputable and some, you know, I think decent people still out there. I would do some homework, you know, check online, ask people, uh, you know, I know there's, uh, you might know him down in that West Virginia area, a guy named Richie Acevedo. I've heard of him, yes. He's a pretty decent guy, by what, a Cuban assassin's son or whatever, but I would be endeavoring to speak to a few guys like that and, you know, try to bend Jimmy Valiant's ear or whatever, say, hey, Jimmy, I I just want to, and I'm appreciative and I I respect a guy like you because he's, uh, you know, the last thing I want to hear from some rookie is I want to make a million dollars in the first year I want to, or that I want to get to, can you get me to W? I want to be in WrestleMania uh, headlining next year. No, or some bullshit no, that's, like that. that's pipe dreams. That's pipe yeah. dreams because you know, yeah. you know. And if, uh, all, all you're wanting is some work and an opportunity to get a bit better, and the only way to get better is to have some matches and uh, you know get some experience. You know, so right, right. Uh, well, so, well, well, like. Well, with ACW, okay, American Championship Wrestling, the one I work, my home promotion here in Virginia. Okay, I've been working with them solid for two years, as long as I've been in, been in the business. Um, you know, they gave me a chance right off the gate, you know. And, so you're probably, um, by the sound of it, ready to move on to something a little bit more challenging. No, no, or... I, don't get me wrong. I love ACW. I love ACW. I'm loyal to ACW. Yeah, at the same time, I discern your you come to the conclusion you're not going to uh you know be able to go to any great level just stay in there you know which, which is probably smart on your behalf if you're kidding yourself that 
you know, you stay there for five years and you're going to, you know, you, wait, know, you wait, probably. See, like this week, well, this next weekend, okay, we've got a show coming up on August 16th. And like I said, I've been in the business, I've been in with them for two years now. And um, up until now, you know, I haven't had any, like, real major uh, push. And just just the, this past December, uh, their, uh, their finale show for last year in December, um, they, they converted me over to a heel. And then they, they paired me up with another heel that's really popular within the promotion. And now, this coming weekend... They've got me uh, booked on a card for an actual title match, a tag team title match. And I, this is my first time being in a title match, and I'm really nervous about it, you know, regardless of what the outcome is. I'm, I'm real nervous, you know, because before, you know, it was no big deal. I'd, go, I'd show up, you know, okay, they tell, all right, this, this is who's going for this is doing that. And we go out there and do our thing, and, you know, it was business as usual, but now it's it's more of a main event type setting, and it's more bigger. I'm just about it. Well, the best I can say is don't um, don't even put any pressure on yourself. Just uh, whether it's main event or title, or those are all just things that are you know are well, they're they're, they're props. They're props in the business. Un- un- I understand that. Unfortunately, uh, I, I, I must I must interrupt this, and I do apologize to you, Eddie, but I must interrupt this just because we do have other callers that we do have to get to on the line. Um, um, so, un, un, unfortunately, I, I must actually have to let you go. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to monopolize yeah. your time. No, oh, not, not a problem. I appreciate uh, and enjoy talking to you. And uh, we're on every Sunday, so call call again, or you can contact us online so i wish you well my friend and uh uh keep that uh flame burning from within i uh well the, I, the uh, indies are the backbone of, of the of the business we are the backbone. yeah so Indeed. more power to you Indeed. and I'll, I'll i'm sure talk to you again okay thank you you're welcome all right i have have a very good night eddie and like i said i i do apologize bruce that i had to interrupt that but like i said we do have Oh, that's fine. I I, I, to, uh, I totally agree. Yeah, and, and uh, especially with the fact that we do have such a world-renowned guest on our show, but it, it seems like he hasn't really had much time to talk, especially about his his huge documentary. And uh, let's let's see uh, where our next caller goes, and that would be the four two three area code. I believe this is Chris. How are you tonight? I'm doing very well. How are you, Patrick? Great. Nice to hear from very you, Chris. Well. Good. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> uh, Bruce, always a pleasure to speak to you. Um, Fulvio, uh, actually, quick question. Um, could you, and it's in two parts, actually. Uh, could you give us, uh, as far as the, the fans and everybody listening, uh, a little bit of uh, background of how you got started in acting, directing, and um, give us uh a little bit of uh, more information on the uh, documentary that you have coming out, when it's going to be in theaters, DVD, such as that. Uh, okay. Uh, well, the boring stuff about me uh, acting, uh, I've been at it 31 years now, 
started in 1983, and uh, I don't know, I kind of stopped counting. I've done about 200, over 200 TV shows. Wow. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been a nice little ride. Uh, I still tend to fly under the radar, but I I work a lot. I've done a lot of good stuff. Uh, worked on a lot of big shows. Worked with a lot of really talented people. And uh, still at it, so that's a, a good thing. Uh, the documentary was—it uh, just kind of—it just kind of fell in my lap. It was really uh, an odd thing because I was helping out my my co-producer Darren Antola. He—we uh, were working on a reality show, and uh, it was a, a pitch about uh, old. Uh, champions that were making a comeback and didn't really go anywhere. And then he had a couple other ideas and we kicked those around, didn't really go anywhere. And then he's a big wrestling fan. And so he said, uh, you, you know, every time you mention 350 to a wrestler, they know exactly what, what that is. I'm like, well, what does that mean? Well, you know, they, they used to wrestle 350 times a, a year. And I'm like, what, are you kidding me? That, that's unbelievable. You know, because I, I wasn't a wrestling fan. I didn't know any, anything about that. So right. we started going to a couple of meetings, and um, one of our friends out in the back east in Long Island, Bobby Rydell, has uh, a lot of connections with wrestlers, and so we started the meeting with was him. That, was that and, a singer, or is that another Bobby Rydell? No, another Bobby Rydell. Uh, he's in the wrestling industry, and um, he's been very instrumental in getting us some of the wrestlers. Uh, that, that's been very, very helpful, but... So I'd go to these meetings, and I'm like, wow, this is a really interesting world. I had no idea. And so I, I said to Darren, I said, you know, I think I should direct this for you. And so th that's how it started. And we were, you know, like, like I said, we were going to concentrate on uh, 350 days, the life on the road, specifically during the, the 80s, the territory Road trips days. and the and rips and the... The whores. Oh, my God. The, <laughs> the swerves, uh, arena rats, uh, you, the alcohol, baloney blowouts, uh, uh, you, you name it. You know, getting out of uh, the stadiums and, and ambulances, <laughs> the whole kayfabe thing. I mean, the stories I've heard were just, I mean, this is tremendous. But, and yeah, now of course, you're it, talking my language. As I'm doing this, right. Well, as I'm doing this, I, I'm, I'm getting to meet all these other people from other eras, from the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the, the local indie guys, and they all have great stories. And so that, that's how it started, and that's why I'm having such a hard time stopping now because the, the stories have been so fascinating. And, and oh, you know, yeah. the, the names have been legendary. It just the, the people we've interviewed, but pretty much from the 80s, you know, except for the guys that I, I can't talk to because they're under contract to, to Vince, uh, we, we've gotten almost everybody. And, and of course, I mean, I could have stopped with, with Brett. You know, if I, if I had just Brett alone, <laughs> that would have made the documentary. But uh, my God, you know, we, we have uh, uh, Ted DiBiase, we have Paul Orndorff, we have uh, uh, Georgiana Steele, <clears throat> Tito Santana, Marty Jannetty, uh, my God, Ox Baker. Uh, <laughs> Many of my old. I, 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 Colleagues. And, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm telling you, it's it's been just nonstop. And then because I'm trying to tell the whole story, I am I, not just concentrating on the wrestlers. That's why we've we've spoken to promoters, uh, to referees, to uh, owners of wrestling schools, the, the indie guys, the historians, ring rats, <laughs> ring rats uh, female wrestlers. Uh, I have uh, I have Farmer Pete, the uh, midget wrestler from uh, from back in the day, back in the seventies. 
Um, that's the other thing. Canadian, uh, uh, you know, American wrestlers, young, old, uh, everything, uh, up and coming, black, white, uh, you name it. We, we, I'm trying to make the definitive epic documentary about wrestling. I want... Have you made it yet? Or I, like, I forgive my ignorance, but uh, I'll, I'll have to get with well, you sometime just because I'm fortunate well, enough or unfortunate enough to have done all that. But I, I was actually uh, fortunate or unfortunate enough to uh, do all that in England and Europe and New Zealand and Australia and Japan as well. You know, so I... I uh, you know, I, well, I, we we need to talk because you know I, I I've, I've been systematically going through the entire Hart family. I've, I've interviewed Smith, I've interviewed Ross and Brett, and now I'm on your show. So yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 I wish I, I could have interviewed Stu, but a little too late for yeah, that. I'd certainly give you a lot of Stu's secondhand. If I probably spent more time with Stu than anyone, just you know, on the road trips and. You know, just as the booker, you had to uh, spend a lot of time just talking to Stu to find out what he was wanting, you know, and he, Stu was uh, one of those types who, uh, you know, took a while to get to the point sometimes that he'd cover a lot of, cover a lot of ground, but uh, it was a great education, though, you know, learning all the, uh, you know, Stu was always telling you how Tootsmont did it back in the day or how old... Uh, you know, Tony Stecker did it in Minneapolis, or Morris Siegel in Dallas, or you know Eddie Graham, or the Doc Sarpolis, all those, so you know, and so almost by you know, just from all my conversations with with him on all that, you know, we used to have them every week for hours, you know, and uh, but I almost came to feel like I knew, uh, you know. Uh, Putzmont or uh, you know the Tony Stecker or Morris Siegel or Dory Senior and, and you know and it's sort of cool when you you know when you hear those names and you have and I had fortunately got a chance to meet some of those old icons and old pioneers you know and or in the early days you know we go to the NWA meetings every. Uh, year in Vegas, they had a big convention, and but so, but yeah, I'm, I now consider myself sort of, uh, you know, one of the few that actually had a chance to meet old Sam Muchnick and Jim Barnett and Fritz and you know Paul Bosch and all of, you know, those are sort of like I'm sure you heard most of those names, but they're iconic oh, yeah. old uh, pioneers and. Uh, so I, I uh, I'd be more than happy to share some perspectives well, thank you. Well, about so many of those. You know, I, well, we're we're in the process of editing, and we're hoping to get it done by the end of the the year. Uh, we've got a great editor, uh, Paul Whitehead, that's uh, worked on a whole bunch of uh, movies out in Toronto and series. And he's been busy working on it. Uh, if anything, it's probably my fault because I just don't know when to stop. I've just been interviewing so many people oh. because it's just so, so fascinating to me. Oh, it's hard. But, you, um, at some point, you gotta you gotta whittle it down. Otherwise, go on forever. 
Uh, I, I agree. Uh, well, and that's, you know, this is what I'm hoping is that, uh, you know, I mean, w- w- we want to get it out as a feature. That's the, the ultimate goal. But if not, I mean, this is, it really lends itself to, uh, you know, a, you know, it's like a, a 10 part series on ESPN or HBO. Oh yeah. Sports Ken, or, Ken Burns. The Ken Civil Burns. War exactly. <laughs> Baseball. I, and, and I mean, I, I have so much footage that I, I can do that. It's, well, that's uh, good that, it's all a matter of, I'm glad that there's some unilateral independent person such as yourself doing that. You know, it gives me confidence that it would be pretty good. If I was hearing, you know, the WWE is uh, planning on doing a, you know, a Ken Burns thing, <laughs> I'd be right. unfortunately probably rolling my eyes and saying, uh, you know, you know, the wrestling business would have started with Hulkamania or some bullshit, and, uh, you know, before that, you oh, know, they maybe pay... I'm uh, to disprove all that. Yeah, and uh, no, I think that... And do it in style, too, you know. Yeah, it looks like you're not just doing it to take pot shots at the, uh, you know, almighty, omnipotent people in Connecticut, but uh, just doing it objectively, you know. I I have nothing against him. What I want, like, for example... I'm glad to hear that, you know, if that was just your sole agenda, you'd be going, here we go again, you know, another... uh, You know, it's already been no, done I so agenda. much that it doesn't mean anything. It's, but to, yeah, I, to I, me, I, it's like when, when I interview these people and I hear about these lives and, and how full and rich and, and legendary they were, I, I mean, people don't remember. I mean, people don't remember Wolfman Willie Farkas. I, I met Wolfman, and I'm like, how is this guy not like a, a, a legend? How do people not know about him? What a colorful yeah. guy. I mean, I just love this, and so oh, yeah, it's like he, as you probably know, he started up here. You know, he was, you know, uh, he was uh, up here, Bill Farkas, long be long before he grew long hair and became Wolfman. You know, he's he's just uh, a skinny uh, undercard, uh, you know, aspirant or whatever. But but that, that, right, that's and, and Angelo sure Mosca Brent, also trained with Stu, right? Oh, I'm sure Brett probably told you a lot of. It's almost almost remarkable how many of those uh, seeming icons, uh, you know, were kind of uh, in their embryonic stages up here. You know, guys like Mosca and uh, Stompers and the uh, Billy Graham superstars and the, uh, you know, uh, before that, way back, you know, some of the. Guys like Johnny Valentine were up here when they were just breaking in, and guys like uh, Wilbur Snyder and Kaniski and oh, Bearcat Wright, all all kinds of them. You know, they're, I'm sure that's even another tangent. I don't want to get off on one, but even with the examination of the uh, the black wrestlers, you know, and the uh, thinly drawn, <laughs> you know, kind of segregation and all like that, you know, is you know. There was quite a bit of racial, all that other, which is why most of the great black wrestlers back in the back in the day very rarely could they find any work down in the states. If they did, it was being stereotyped as some kind of uh, Amos and Andy type, you know, like a Bobo Brazil or you know that kind of thing, you know. But there, yeah. there was a lot, a, a lot it's, of that, uh, you know. Uh, 
once again, my, my apologies for, for interrupting, but we seem oh. to be switching switching gears a little bit. So real quick, I just I, I wanted to ask if uh, one, if Chris actually, if you had uh, any uh, any extra any last questions for for our guest before we uh, switch gears to our other caller, who I want to make sure I get introduced as well. Everything was was answered to uh, perfection. I'm, I'm most definitely looking forward to. Uh, the, the documentary, whether it's on uh, television or, you know, going to DVD or, or whatever, most definitely looking forward to that. Um, it's it's a story that needs to be told. It needs to be heard. Well, thank you, Chris. I appreciate it uh, for listening in. and uh, Yeah, and thanks asking. for your patience, Chris, for uh, listening to us kind of <laughs> go on and on and on, but I appreciate your uh seeing fit to call in and I, I welcome and invite you to call back uh next time you know we just scratch the surface and always enjoy your perspectives absolutely my pleasure um get in contact with with me at some point bruce <laughs> i shall and th- thanks for uh thanks for uh calling i appreciate your input absolutely my pleasure thanks for having me all the best. Thank you, my All friend. Right. Take care. All right. Thank you. you. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, Chris. And then also, since uh, since I have your gentleman's attention, I also want to uh, introduce our uh, our final guest of the night. That would be uh, Mr. Led Phillips has called into the show to uh, to uh, join to your discussion, you know, about the movie and different road stories and things like that. So I want to make sure that I got uh, Len introduced. Len, how are you this evening? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you for having me again, Patrick. Oh, no Hi, problem. Len. Nice, nice to Hi, Len. Uh, hear from you again. It's been a while, and uh, appreciate your calling in. I'll, I'll let you, uh, you bet, Bruce. engage uh, with our special guest, Fulvio, here. You might want to ask him some questions or whatever, so I'll let you uh, uh, get right into it with him. You bet. Uh, thank you, Bruce. Uh, good okay. evening, Mr. Fovio. This is uh, it's an honor to be speaking with you here. Uh, you've you, been man. a busy man here with uh, throughout your career. Uh, I've seen you've done some uh, some really uh, some really cool movies here. Uh, uh, you know, you did The Watchmen, of course. You did uh, Residential Evil uh, Afterlife, of course. You did Cinderella Man, uh, Paycheck, and looks like you're in, in production right now, uh, The Flash, a TV series. Yes, I actually just found out I'll be in the upcoming uh, episode. Um, wow! Episode five of the season, yeah. So that's pretty exciting. Excellent. And, um, Excellent. Yeah, I've been I've been a busy guy since last uh, October. I've done something like fourteen jobs already. I was just on a show on. last this past Thursday called uh, Rush. Uh, that was pretty good. And I've been on. I was on Motive. Done a whole bunch of uh, movies of the week. It's been it's been good. Excellent, excellent. Of course, congratulations on the upcoming film. Of course, the uh, 350 days. I can't wait to see that film. That's going to be uh, that's going to be excellent to see that documentary of the, of the good old uh, old school of pro wrestling. There, that's excellent. The story I, I being agree. told again. Yes, you you, you will love it. Oh, I'm looking forward of uh, of actually going to watch it for sure. You bet you. If I have to stand in a line, I'll stand in a line. <laughs> is that going to be bet. in uh, movies, or is that going to be like uh, PBS, or uh, what's the uh, uh, intended format well, there, Fulvio? 
the, the goal is to, to get it released as a feature. I'd love to see it in the theaters. I'd <clears throat> love to submit it to some film festivals and all that. But ultimately, you know, it depends. I mean, we've had interest from uh, distributors already, and if, uh, if the best scenario is to get it on TV, then we'll do that. But I, I really, I'd, I'd love to, to get nice wide distribution, you know, have people waiting online and sitting in a big old theater watching on the big screen. Uh, I think that's the, the best way to watch this. But, but like I said, it, there's so much information that we're, that we're giving, so much stuff that it might work better on TV. It might be better as like a Ken Burns type thing. What is, um, you, I, I assume you have some kind of, uh, you know, an ostensible uh, script or a causing a message yeah. or I mean, you know, yeah, there's some, you know, there's some kind of a moral to the uh, story, so to speak, or some such thing. Is that, is that correct? Or? Well, I mean, yes, ultimately every, every movie has, you know, it's three parts basically. But, um, but, yeah, what we're doing is we're documenting the, the lives of these wrestlers, specifically during the Territory Days, and that's what we want the people to know, that, that that's like a bygone era, that it doesn't exist anymore. But what was it like? You know, it, it's, it, it's without fail. Every single – I mean, I'm, something like 95% of the time now, people will ask me, oh, well, what are you working on? I'm like, oh, I've been directing this documentary. Uh, what's it about? Uh, pro wrestling. Oh, my God, my, my uncle was a pro wrestler. Oh, the, the guy down the street, uh, I used to watch him wrestling. Everybody and their mother has a wrestling story. And it, it's, it's without fail. It's, just, it's, it's really interesting. So, and people have this real affinity, for the, especially for the 1980s, I find. Uh, th- that's why you know, a lot of people think it's the heydays, um, you know, the 80s, early 90s. And so I think those people are just dying to relive their, their childhood and, and see these characters again. Where are they now? Well, what, what, how is their life? You know, people have no idea what, you know, what, that, what that life was like on the road. I mean, if I, if I just stopped you on the street and I said, you know, I work 350 days out of the year and sometimes I work twice a day, you'd think you're nuts. And, and people, like, I'll never forget, it was so funny, uh, Don Leo Jonathan, I, I told him about, you know, I said 350 days, and he started laughing. He's like, 350? Uh, there was one time I wrestled for seven years straight. And we used to have uh, re- wrestling on uh, Christmas and New Year's, and we would call it Family Day. So, you know, but people oh, yeah, just don't I, understand. I would have right? said, so they, I'm sure he may have yeah, said that so when they, I first, you know, is it only 350? In my day, we did 363 or something like that, you know. Well, some of, the, some of them joked. They're like, well, why are you calling it 350? It should be 365. But, you know, people yeah. won't believe that. So, yeah. you know, so that's, that's, what, that's what the story is about, basically. And so, yeah, within that realm, you're going to find people that have, you know, perhaps fallen on some hard time. You're going to find the ones that are successful. You're going to hear happy stories. You're going to hear very, very sad stories. But one thing you're going to hear is the truth. And that's what I love about these guys, that nothing, absolutely nothing was off limits. Now, nobody said, man, I, I don't want to talk about that. It's like, okay, you know, or we, we would mention uh, a, a promoter or a fellow wrestler, blah, blah, blah. I know I hated that guy, or you know, like nothing. Nothing was off limits. It was just completely. Yeah, I guess the big part for you is just, you know, as like as you were saying, is is just sort of digesting and like you know, uh, 
so it does you know you don't want to be just focusing on the uh bitterness or the sad parts or the uh you know the sidebars like the uh the ribs or the the ring rats or whatever you somehow they've got to sort of weave all those right. ingredi- ingredients into something so ultimately you're uh still kind of you know keeping it in the context of the wrestling business, not just sort of a, an expose oh, or a, 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 you know, a no, no condemnation and, of and it. Or. No condemnation. And not only that, I'm, I'm actually quite shocked after hearing about, you know, what they've gone through and how hard it's been, the, the lack of bitterness. I mean, these guys just love what they were doing. You know, they, it was their, their life. They they lived for it. They would do it all over again. Oh, yeah. So, that's, that's, it, it, I, don't, I think that might be the themes of it, uh, Fulvio. Is, that might have been the only thing that sustained them throughout all the uh, lean times and the uh, short payoffs and the uh, injuries and the uh, was the uh, love of the sport or whatever the hell because uh, – if not that, uh, you know, it's unlikely they would have, uh, you know, imposed all that on themselves. You know, I, I certainly know that about my myself. I, uh, you know, you have this passion, and it's somewhat addictive, you know, and and it's fun and it's compelling and all like that. But uh, there's all these damn, you know. Uh, heartaches and disappointments and tragedies and all this other that kind of uh you know give you a slap on the head once in a while and, uh, make you think geez why the hell am i in this or why am i still doing this you know uh you know uh i know i've certainly more than a few times and you know i've unfortunately had more than a few setbacks or you know things that you know, like Owen's death and some of the other, you know, pretty sobering things that kind of, uh, you know, kind of are like a pretty harsh wake-up call. Like, oh, you know, why the hell am I still imposing this on myself type thing, you know. But, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued with some of what you've told me, you know, and... Um, I've certainly been down that road and uh, understand what the what you're talking about and what you're, you know, uh, endeavoring to uh, put together here. Well, I, I, like I said, I, you know, I, I come from it as not even a fan, and I'm I'm hooked now. I just uh, these these people are just so fascinating, and um, I, I I think because this has become such a, a labor of love, really, that uh, the, the fans will, will know it. I mean, uh, I'm grateful that uh, Darren, you know, came up with the idea. I mean, who, who would have thought of it? I mean, who, who knows about 350 days? I mean, what does the term even mean? And yet every, every wrestler we mentioned, they, they knew exactly what it, what it was. And, and, and every... Everyone had a different thing, you know. Oh, it, it means you know missing my, uh, my my kids' birthdays. It means oh you're being abused by a promoter, or it means you know yeah you know the camaraderie, the the friends you made on the road. 
I mean, everybody had a specific uh, idea of what it meant, but everybody knew what it was. It's like, oh, yeah, well, we lived that life. And um, <laughs> it's just fascinating. Well, I'm, I'm definitely uh, very intrigued. I uh, certainly uh, include myself in the uh, <laughs> the group of lemmings who <laughs> keep, uh, you know, uh, wandering, you know, inexorably toward the cliff or whatever the hell, you know, so. Uh-huh. Um, if, well, uh, I, if I may, uh, if uh, my, my, uh, my apologies, Fulvio, um, but I, I was just wondering real quick if, uh, if our caller Len had any additional questions for Fulvio or for Bruce at all. Yeah, Fulvio, again, it's, uh, you know, it's an honor to be talking to you here, and of course, uh, always uh, great to talk to you, Bruce. Um, yeah, yeah as, uh, you know, Bruce, we were, yes, we were chatting last time there and, uh, not that, uh, when I, you know, this interesting 350 days, it's so exciting. Uh, I've been uh, busy, uh, myself here. I just finished a, uh, I was on Heartland here. It's a TV series, which is on uh-huh. CBC, of course, here in Canada. And yeah, I got a background, uh, performer part on that. Very uh, good show. And I've also, yeah, yeah, it's got some pretty good high ratings here. So let's see uh, how much of a of a background that I uh, <laughs> get exposed here. Um, yeah, uh, Heartland. I might add for fans outside of Western Canada, Heartland is not about the Hart family itself. <laughs> <laughs> you betcha. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not a wrestling movie, that's for sure, or a, or yeah. a TV series for that matter. And I also uh, I'm going to be on Telus on Demand here. Uh, it's a, uh, it's called zombie one. I did make the, uh, make the film. It's a short film and, uh, it's, I'm actually going to my first, uh, cast party here early September in Edmonton. And uh, we're going to get a chance of course, to, uh, watch this premiere of the zombie number one. And then from there, Telus is going to be putting on a big, uh, venue here for all the winners. There was 10 winners that each did their own project. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited on to uh, to go to this uh, this this premiere party and uh, and watch this uh, this pretty cool film that I'm in. Absolutely, yeah. that's great. Congratulations! It's uh, a lot you. of fun. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing both of the uh, projects that you and Fulvio are working on. You know, and um, I'm confident maybe uh, a while from now I'll be. Uh, Dropping your names and say I, I know that dude or whatever. You know, so that's cool. Uh, by the way, uh, Len, I actually I worked in Edmonton once on um, a show. It was called uh, Fear Itself. Do you remember that? Yes. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right on. A, a horror anthology show, and uh, that, that was a few years back, but uh, that was a lot of fun. Yes. Yeah. My uh, my agent out of Calgary here. She's. Uh, you know, uh, she's going to keep me busy here, of course. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I just got into this uh, the wonderful, uh, you know, uh, industry here in the wonderful world of entertainment. I also have, uh, I was supposed to be doing a movie here that was called The Alien, uh, uh, was the uh, Naked Alien Massacre. And uh, <laughs> that is being postponed here for a while. So, uh, of course, my publicist is uh, Mr. Rock Riddle. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of uh, the famous uh, Mr. Wonderful, the original. Uh, I, I, I interviewed him at the Cauliflower Alley Club. Yes, yes, at CAC. Yes, I was trying to get down to that event, but uh, unfortunately my work uh, kept me from uh, getting down there. But I definitely want to be down, I want to head down to the, uh, the 50, uh, 50th anniversary 
that's for sure, in 2015. It was it yes. was so much fun. Uh, I would look forward to being there again, and uh, and now I'm a proud member. Oh well, congratulations! That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> yes, and uh, I can't wait for my first time to actually get down there. As I say, for the 50th anniversary, I'm here. It's going to be a uh, it's going to be a wonderful uh, show. Uh, so uh, I can't wait to get down there. You bet you. Yes, and meet all the superstars and uh, talk about some old great stories of the of the good old pro wrestling. You bet you. Well, this this last one, the 49th uh, edition, I believe there were something like 345 wrestlers there. Wow! I mean, it was just Whoa. yeah, it's just crazy. It was, it was really a, a lot of fun, and um, I, I did. I think I, I interviewed 21 people while I was there over, over the course of uh, I think it was two three days. And, um, you know, just fascinating, fascinating world. And even when I went to the Hall of Fame, I mean, that was so much fun. I mean, like, you know, I have to mention one of the standouts uh, when I was there, uh, and you could tell he's just, he lived such a a great life, was uh, Don Fargo of the fabulous Fargo Brothers. (laughs) You know, people... That people don't uh, really remember that, right? And yet the Fargo brothers were the first to sell out uh, Madison Square Garden as a tag team back in 1960. So, I mean, think about that. Th- this is what mm-hmm. drives me absolutely bonkers. It's like, how, what, what a, a huge, uh, you know, event that must have been, and to sell out the Madison Square Garden for a wrestling match in 1960. I mean, well, what a huge you know, honor and, and, and you know, testament to, to what wrestling was back then. Yeah, I know that old uh, Don Kulf, Don Fargo, he, as you probably have already heard, he, he sort of gained as much notoriety for his uh, outside-the-ring kind of uh, debauchery. He was a very pretty. interesting, yeah, he's, uh, he was just, he's just awesome. He looks like a... You know, a retired biker, but uh, boy, you, you could tell he's he's lived a good life. Oh yeah, I've heard, got uh, some good stories. I'm sure you know he's done it all. He's 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 one of those kind of uh, like a wrestling version of uh, Dennis Hopper or something like that. You know, a real uh, yeah, yeah, that's, character. That's good. You know. Yeah. But yeah, those are, certain names like that. When you hear them, they kind of uh, immediately you kind of eyes brighten. As like Don Fargo or some of those old guys like Harley and Terry Funk and Ray Stevens, who's no longer around. But uh, a lot of those guys, you know, they elicit a, a, a pronounced response because of you know who they were and what they did in the uh, you know their unique approach to it you know they were not copies or anything they were originals and you know they did it their way you know and all like that you know but that was one of the fascinating I, things about the business back in the day was there's so many more guys who were you know kind of doing it their way not cookie cutter copies and all that other which is unfortunately the rule rather than the exception these days you know but, and, and I would be very remiss if I didn't mention, um, you know, I, I just love the uh, the masked wrestlers. And well, one of my favorites was, is Bill Levy, of course. He was 
he was such a good interview. He was very, very scholarly because uh, he's also a teacher, and so he oh, really uh, great guy. Yeah, uh, I, he, I, terrific. I wrestled with him in Japan, and I I brought him up here in the eighties as a world champion. And, he was the masked superstar at that time. But, uh, That's right. Great, yeah. great and, guy. And we, and, we, we went to the Hall of Fame, and he was inducted this year. And um, and also right. uh, Dick the, the Destroyer was there as well. He's Another uh, great, guy, a great Dick guy, Dick Byer, yeah. 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 Those, those are uh, – that gives me a lot of uh, kind of, you know, uh, excitement just hearing that you've had an opportunity to – interact with guys like that because uh, those guys have been there and done it and, and, and they're uh, candid and they're, they're interesting guys too they're not just well, you mean, know, they got some great stories I'm sure oh well just just at the uh, Hall of Fame alone we interviewed J.J. Um, Dillon I mean he was another great great uh, wealth of information and uh and, and, and from the women's side, you know, we've we've uh, interviewed Wendy Richter and we interviewed uh, uh, Joyce Grable when we were there, uh, Stan Hansen, um, uh, Paul Vachon. But I mean, it was just it was just so fascinating. I, I, yeah. I, the list is just endless, you know. It's just a funny thing because every single one of the names you mentioned, uh, it kind of reinforces what I was saying. But back in the day, uh, like. Uh, I know all those guys quite well, and I've interacted with them and shot angles and rode in buses and vans and cars and drank beer with them and all the others. So any of those, you know, and that was one of the things that made the business what it was back in the day. It was, seemed like there was this kind of, you know, uh, network or family and everyone sort of, knew everyone back in the day and uh everyone had interacted with all those people you know and uh and it's not unfortunately like that anymore you know and it which is one of the reasons why the uh in my estimation the survival of the business is you know kind of in question just because the the grassroots and the foundation are uh not what they used to be but like, i'm glad that like little Things like Cauliflower Alley and the Hall of Fame thing down in Amsterdam and things like that are, uh, you know, sort of keeping the flame burning, though, you know, and hopefully they might lead to it burning brighter, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah. Uh, and, you know, you, Bruce. Oh. Hello? Yep. Go, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I was just, just going to say that. Uh, I'm getting the um uh, heading down to uh an indie show here in Edmonton this Friday and I'm actually gonna have the pleasure to uh to be meeting uh, Melissa Colts and she's actually in the uh documentary three fifty there if I'm not mistaken, uh Mr. Fulvio. Is that correct? Well we, we interviewed uh, Melissa at the uh, WrestleCon uh last yes. l- last April. She was uh she was just happened she just happened to be talking to Marty Janetti and she was kind enough to speak to us and um yeah. And I I also saw her at the uh, Cauliflower Alley Club. Yes, nice yeah, girl. I had a friend of mine Yes. Yeah, you bet you. Girl. Yeah, I'll be meeting her the first time here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't wait to meet her. Yeah, here she's quite the terrific uh terrific performer of course and uh yeah. <laughs> like about ninety percent of the uh so called Divas in the WWE, most of whom, uh, you know, 
have no business calling themselves workers. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, and you know, it's funny because uh, I, I know that some people uh, think that's a discouraging term, but, you know, I, 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 what, what is your take on that? Do, do you think that people, that wrestlers don't want to be called workers or jobbers? Or, but what's, what's your take on that? They should be uh, flattered to be called workers, um, I would think. You know, all it means is, uh, like, somebody who understands how to work, you know. But if if uh, that's perceived to be disparaging these days, then it's uh, just a reflection on the uh, fucked-up state of the business, you know, quite honestly. You know, uh, I hear all these guys being... They get, Virtually every guy who's in the WWE is a superstar, you know, and which is almost laughable because uh, the majority of them don't even have the right to be called workers. In my estimation, they're uh, one-trick ponies and ass-kissers who have been given a push because they had a physique or because uh, somebody... Uh, saw fit to push them and then they usually fall from grace as fast as they rose to it you know the uh you know the uh nxt uh syndrome and all like that so but any uh worker who is offended at being called a worker uh probably doesn't have a clue what the hell a worker is a worker is just somebody who's you know understands how to work should be improvisationally not scripted to I might add, you know, and um but no, I've never perceived any negative connotation from the term worker. Um like calling uh a, you know, an actor uh a thespian or something like why the hell would they be offended by it, you know, but but I don't know. Right. Well, I mean I I I don't see that because I mean you know, again as an actor my job, especially as a character actor, is is to make the the stars look good and to you know help move the narrative along. I'm I'm there to tell oh, the yeah, story. To play, Usually, to play your role to uh, you know uh, make people believe, and if you're doing your job, hopefully everyone else is, and you know, the whole thing is what it should be then. <laughs> That's right. So if, if that makes me a, a jobber, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't care. I, I'm there. I'm, you know, yeah, there's I'm a stigma, too, about I'm being in. a jobber. In the old days, there was a lot of respect. You know, they used to call the jobbers carpenters, you know, because they would build, build right. other guys up, you know. Uh, and then they got this. It was all byproduct of the... Uh, mindset of the early 80s with the uh, WWE where they had these bullshit TV squash yeah, every every uh, TV show consisted of nothing but uh, these brand X jobbers or no names getting squashed by superstars in uh, 30 seconds or a minute and then and that, that sort of changed but that's where that stigma kind of came out of the uh, jabronis and the jobbers and and those guys were just sort of uh, they were more to be pitied you know they, they and very few of them ever rose above that uh, kind of uh status as jabronis or jobbers you know they just go out and what we used to call
called do squash jobs or get squashed in a minute and you'd have Hawk and Animal or Hulk or Bundy or whatever, you know, doing their finish and they'd be carried out or, you know, uh, whatever in 30 seconds and that was that. But uh, within the business, there was always a great deal of respect for guys who did a job the right way because it uh, served a great purpose. It got a guy over you know, right. and, uh, so, so all on, uh, things are... on that uh, on that note, unfortunately, we uh, only have a, a few minutes left. So, unfortunately, we're going to have to uh, kind of start wrapping up. So, uh, real quick, I want to go to uh, our caller, Len. Len, did you have any uh, any final comments or any final questions for our guests or yeah, for Bruce? Yeah, I just wanted to uh, again thank you. It was great uh, talking with, of course, uh, you know, uh, Director Hovio there, of course, and Mr. Uh, Bruce Hart. Uh, you know, it's interesting. You're talking about the character actor. That's exactly what uh, what I'm looking. Uh, you know, that that's my uh, pursuit on my uh, you know this wonderful career that I'm uh, uh, going into here. Uh, it's exciting, and uh, you know, it's exa- you know if you have a really good performer, whether you want to call it a worker, performer, actor, uh, you know, to Jobber. tell the story, jobber. Whatever. That's exactly what we're there for. We're there to tell the story and 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 make the stars shine. And uh, without the character actors, it's it's hard to tell that story, you know. Absolutely. More power to well, you. Then. I wish you all the best. Good luck with that, Len. It's a tough business, but uh, very rewarding when it works. Yes, ditto. Uh, I, 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 I look forward to hearing from you again soon, Len. And uh, thanks for uh, calling in tonight. I uh, always appreciate your insights and perspectives. You bet. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. All the best to you guys. All the best, my friend. Okay. Good night. Good night. Bye, Len. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was uh, Len Phillips. And then uh, to uh, to our, our very, very special guest, and I want to thank you uh, very much for coming on. Um, the film is 350 Days. Uh, it's obviously going to be a, a documentary featuring many, many stories and everything. I know you mentioned that you were kind of in the editing stages, but uh, is there a way that like fans can kind of keep up with the movie and, and as it kind of approaches its release date, however it may be released, whether you know, through, through a film festival or, or DVD, is there any way that fans can keep up with the movie? <clears throat> yes, absolutely. We have a, a Facebook page, uh, 350 Days. We have a Twitter account at 350 Days. We have a uh, a website, 350daysthemovie.com. Um, we keep uh, posting updates, and I still, like I said, I still find very interesting people, and uh, you'll, you'll know what's going on with the movie and the stages that we're at, and um, I hope the audience uh, does check in. I also would like to say uh, a thank you to my, uh, my co-producer, Darren Antola, and our other producer, David Wilkins, who's been very helpful. And, um, and also, by, by the way, we also have uh, Evan Ginsberg involved in our project, and he has a, a show out in, uh, back in New York, and he was an associate producer on the movie The Wrestler. So he's been uh, helpful as well. And uh, Mike Leno has been uh, very instrumental with some uh, old photographs. So a lot of people involved. I want to thank them all. And um, I want to thank you, Bruce and Patrick, for having us on on board. Yeah, my pleasure, Fulvio. I'll uh, I'll have to hook up with you sometime. Just uh, you know, um, quite honestly, I wasn't even. I'm 
I'm not really an internet junkie or any of that stuff, so I didn't even know really well, anything I, about any of this till this this week. But uh, I, I'm I'm intrigued and uh, I'm hopeful it goes as well as it can. And uh, as I said before, well, uh, if and, there's anything would, I can do to give you a perspective or any well, uh, anecdotal I, I, stuff or whatever, uh, you can get my line, I, uh, number. I really off. appreciate that. Yeah, you could get a hold I, of me off the air. I'm sort of more of a phone and uh, talk, talk, not a blogger, a tweeter, uh, whatever the hell. But uh, <laughs> well, I mean, just to let you know how uh, how influential you know Stampede Wrestling ha- has been. I mean, a lot of the people that uh, uh, I run into an interview, they all because we always ask, you know, well, what, what do you remember about Stu Hard? And everybody had a great story about your dad, and of course your brother, and the whole family, really. And even, you know, I, I'm, I'm in Vancouver right now. I'm based in Vancouver. And I, I've done a few interviews with people that used to work for Stampede Wrestling and, you know, out here in Vancouver. And uh, so, I, I mean, I could do a documentary just on Stampede Wrestling. I, I've got so much stuff. I, I, you're, you're, held in, you're held in such reverence in, in the I appreciate it, you know. It, I, it uh, always comes up. I'm, I'm pleased, I you know. I uh, project. I had a, I had a great... Uh, Opportunity, you know, I was sort of allowed to be the uh, the primary string puller, or whatever the hell you want to book or whatever the hell during the uh, most of the '80s. So uh, I'd love to kick around perspectives, and you know, if there's any little things I can give you that fill in some of the blanks that there might be, uh, I'd be more than happy to. But but yeah, I, uh, I had a lot of fun during that stage, and uh, we had a lot of success. You know, a lot of the iconic guys that went on to superstardom in WWE and WCW and all like that are, you know, guys that started or came out of Stampede during that era. So I'm sure you already know some of them. So, but oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure I could give you some. Uh, interesting little tidbits and anecdotal and whatever the hell else, you know, so, but yeah. Well, uh, I, I look forward to that. I would love to make yeah. that happen. You can, I'd love yeah, to give you and Roddy Piper in a room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Another of my old colleagues, uh, Rowdy Roddy. So yeah, give me a call. Uh, I'm sure you get my number from Bob Johnson or whatever. If you want to stick around after they go off the air or whatever, you know, uh, I'll uh, give you my number and uh, maybe arrange to uh, have another conversation off the air, whatever the hell. That's awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. Take care, Fulvio. Nice uh, talking to you. And uh, I guess we're in the uh, winding down stage now. So yeah, I'll, kind uh, of, unfortunately. Cool. Okay. Good show. Uh, we had a lot of, uh, covered a lot of ground tonight. And, uh, you know, I uh, hope the listeners uh, enjoyed the ride. You know, it was uh, a few twists and turns and whatever else. So uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to yeah. next week. I, I'm i not even sure what we got on next week, but uh, I'm sure it'll well, be... Uh, uh, you know, next week, uh, next week uh, it's actually you and Will covering the uh, 27th annual... SummerSlam pay-per-view, and then uh, in two weeks, it's going to be 
a lot of Minneapolis wrestling, especially with uh, Merv Unger and Colonel De Beers and George Shire, will all be uh, will all be on the show in in two weeks. And then Maybe uh, we can get Fern Gagne out. Is Fern uh, is he still up and at him these days, or is he? Uh, I hear he's you know, fading I'm, a bit. I, I I think he's uh, kind of kind of winding down there. Maybe you could try for Greg though. <laughs> I'd love to. Uh, he's a, not a decent guy, Greg. I've had him. I've had the opportunity to cross paths with him. Uh, maybe see if we can get our other old crony Eddie Sharkey on there. Who, you know, he's had his issues the odd time with uh, Vern and <laughs> company, but uh, it'd be great to uh, get the two of them on there. <laughs> kind of. Uh, and then. Uh... Our, uh, our our friend Bob also wanted me to uh, to give a special mention to the uh, the female wrestler show that we'll be having on uh, 9/7 on September 7th, and uh, I know that one we're uh, we're looking to see if we can extend that more towards the uh, three hour mark, just with all the different stories and everything, and hopefully all the female wrestlers and ladies yeah, of the business I'm, I'm that will have old, on. Old, my old. Uh friend Wendy Richter might join us and I hear Joyce Grable and um, Princess Victoria and um, a few others I've heard you know if I can believe what Bob's told me anyway so uh, you know it'd be cool. I've, I've got a few friends that are uh, wrestlers maybe I'll see if they can call in <laughs> more current wrestlers sure sounds like a great show yeah well, it sounds good Okay, well, I'll and, let you wind uh, well, it up then, uh, Patrick. Uh, uh, appreciate your uh, doing a great job again tonight, and uh, I look well, forward to you. next week. And uh, I'm not Please, sure if you're and, still uh, there, Fulvio, but... I'm still here, yep. Yeah, well, it's, I appreciate, and I'll, uh, I'll give you my number off the air, Fulvio, if you're on there for a second. Uh Sure, absolutely. And, now it'll, it'll and, be it'll uh, be a, it'll be a little hard to to do just because of everyone being connected with the uh, live show. But I'm sure I'm sure oh, both of you talked about that. I can, I can get it from Bob. That be an issue. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so, just, uh, just, we'll, okay. uh, yeah, just give Bob a call. You know his number, I presume. So the infamous Bob I, Johnson. I yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just call the old fart, and he'll. Uh, <laughs> Give you my number, <laughs> and uh, I'll look forward to uh, following up with you. All then. Right. All okay. Right. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for having me. All the best, men. Take care. Yeah, bye. Okay. Bye. All right. Thank you very, thank you uh, very much to Fulvio Cesari. Hopefully, I didn't butcher that too bad. And then also our uh, our special call-ins, Chris and uh, Len for. Uh, helping with the conversation, of, along with Eddie Justice, who uh, also called in with a few questions and had kind of an in-depth conversation with you. Uh, I don't know about you, but that kind of wraps it up on, uh, on my part. Any, uh, any final words for you, Bruce? Oh, looks like, uh, looks like I'm on my own now. So uh, with that, you have been listening to Heartbeat Radio here on Pro Wrestling Powerhouse and on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everybody. 
everybody, and away we go with another edition of the Stampede Wrestling Show.